0: This is The Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. This essay is entitled Uncharted Territory, written by Dr. Brian Gill and read for you by Brad Hill. No man ever steps into the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. Heraculous, 6th century B.C. I stood along the rocky banks of St. Mary Lake overlooking the rocky mountains of Glacier National Park and exhaled. Gentle ripples clapped against the pebbles beneath my boots. The cusp of autumn was evident in the chill of the gentle breeze that made me zip my coat. The vibrant flora that speckled my trail with orange, yellow, and red was a sure sign of summer's end. The peaks of surrounding mountains towered some 4,000 feet above me. I felt small. I felt insignificant. But I was thankful to be feeling anything at all. Thankful I wasn't numb anymore. A.N. Rand wrote, For a few moments while this lasts, it's alright to surrender completely. To forget everything and just permit yourself to feel. Permitting myself to feel was part of the reason for this trip. Andy, my college friend from Nashville, whom I referenced in an earlier essay, had organized this trip as one meant for healing. It was a trip intended to honor my late father that had passed away one month earlier. Andy and I met in college when our girlfriends introduced us. It was one of those instances when the girls thought us guys would hit it off and we could all go on double dates together, be best friends, and live happily ever after. Andy and I begrudgingly agreed to go along with the plan and to our surprise we we hit it off. It was awkward years later when we and our girlfriends went our separate ways and Andy and I stayed friends. But that was just the beginning of our friendship. Our brotherhood. It was the spring of my junior year in college and things weren't going as planned. The previous six months had proved to be difficult. After 2 years of dating, my fiance and I had called off our wedding, and she gave me back the diamond ring. The church where I was serving as youth minister told me they couldn't afford me anymore and that I should find a new job. I changed my major from physical education to communication and switched my grad school destination from a school in Texas to one in Birmingham. And to top it off, my truck was broken into, all within a span of six months. I was a walking country song. I'd lost my girl, my job, and my truck. I'm just thankful nothing happened to my dog. (laughs) I joke about it now, but in all seriousness, life was coming at me hard. And I found myself in a deep depression where I didn't leave my house for weeks. No school, no church, no hanging out with friends. It was a low point and I needed help. It was a time I desperately needed a friend to guide me out of this pit. That friend was Andy. Spring break was approaching and he knew I needed to get out of the house. He called me one day out of the blue and said, Pack your bag, we're going on a trip. He didn't tell me where we were going, but that we were going on an adventure. Turns out it was a two-day camping and hiking trip to North Georgia followed by a sea kayaking trip in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was just the trip I needed and one that would give me time to process the events that had hit me all at once and a trip that solidified our friendship. Andy was there for me when the world came crashing down after the death of my father in August 2018 as well. Dad had been diagnosed with a rare lung disease caused by asbestos exposure from years working construction at paper mills. After receiving the grim diagnosis of a three to five year life expectancy, I saw the magnitude of my father's faith. He walked out of the doctor's office that day and said, They say I have three to five years left, but I have no less days now than when I walked into that doctor's office an hour ago. God knows when it will be my time to go, and it's going to be okay. His eyes grew red and damp, and he choked back tears and mouth, It's well with my soul. And if he hadn't been emotional, and if his lungs would have cooperated, he would have sung those beautiful lyrics written by Horatio Spafford many years earlier. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. But I'm certain he was singing them every step of the way on his new journey. The next three years were a roller coaster of emotions and events, too many to include in this essay, but that included a successful lung transplant, a coma, recovery physical therapy, and finally, sudden complications from a blood clot that took his life. To make a long story short, Dad went to be with Jesus on August 13th, while in the arms of his high school sweetheart, my mom. Andy was one of the first people I called that dark August night, and it was all I could do to keep him from driving to Birmingham to be by my side. Instead of making the trip that night, he started planning a trip of his own. One for the two of us meant to honor my dad. A trip that would check a box on both of our bucket lists. A trip to Montana for hiking and fly fishing. One month after we laid Dad to rest, Andy and I boarded a Southwest airline flight bound for Spokane, Washington. I chose to read Undaunted Courage by Stephen E. Ambrose a compilation of journal articles and insights on the great Lewis and Clark expedition of the 1800s. It was a fitting book for the trip as we would be intersecting some of the same ground Lewis and Clark trekked. And much like Lewis and Clark, I too was learning how to navigate an uncharted territory of my own in this life without my father. We rented a car for the four-hour drive that separated Spokane and Kalispell. And in an effort to mirror Lewis and Clark's journey as closely as possible, we too went by horseback. (laughs) A 2018 convertible Mustang GT. There was nothing between us and the great wilderness but an open road and 350 horsepower. It was a fantastic choice of stallion and we rode it hard. I'm thankful we purchased the insurance because it was rattling in places when we returned it that it hadn't been when we picked it up. But such is life with a borrowed horse. Our route took us from Spokane through northern Idaho to Kalispell. To date, northern Idaho is the most beautiful and natural place I'd ever seen in the lower 48. It was a place that I planned to revisit and one I hear the trout fishing is phenomenal along the Henry's Fork of the Snake River, another bucket list destination. When we arrived in Montana, I was amazed at the variations of landscapes that ranged from prairies to mountains in a short span of hours. Seeing the wide-open grasslands and free-roaming mule deer made the term Big Sky Country come alive. The sky reached as far as the eye could see and every turn yielded a fresh, breathtaking view. With nowhere to be and no certain time to get there, we managed to fit four hours of driving into six hours after making the occasional stop to stretch our legs, take some photos and admire the scenery along the way. When we arrived in Kalispell, we checked into the hotel and continued north to Glacier National Park as quickly as possible due to the dangers of current wildfires in the park the more convenient western entrance was closed so with nothing else to do we drove to the eastern entrance of the going to the sun road a three-hour trip one way the three hours was a small price to pay for what we were about to experience as meriwether lewis said upon seeing eagle creek in chuteau county montana on may 31st 1805 The hills and river cliffs which we passed today exhibit a most romantic appearance. I could echo Lewis's sentiment about the mountains and rivers we passed as well on our way to Glacier. The weather was perfect for a day hike. It was sunny with a few clouds, but a little chilly. While back home the Alabama heat and humidity were both reaching the 100 mark, the air was crisp and cool in Montana. We drove the Mustang around the park for a while, and then parked somewhere along the road where we would begin our two-hour hike around St. Mary Lake. There were bears in the park and so we took no chances. Each of us, armed with a can of bear spray, convinced ourselves that we were equipped for whatever we were going to encounter. But somewhere inside me, I was not convinced that an aerosol can would be enough to stop a grizzly if she had ill intentions. (laughs) The sign posted at the trailhead read, Warning! Entering grizzly country wasn't exactly reassuring either, but we pressed on. The trails we took were narrow and colorful. The wildfires from only a few years prior had devastated the land, but the tender vegetation was re-emerging and created a blanket of autumnal hues that covered the hillside of charred tree stumps. The rolling hills created blind curves along the narrow path, and anxiety built in my heart at the thought of surprising an unsuspecting bear along the crest of each turn. I'd only had one encounter with a bear thus far in my life. It was twelve summers earlier in southern Colorado. I was the camp pastor for a statewide youth event, and the first of two-week stint was coming to an end. Around midnight, the camp director and I sat on a picnic table and talked as we monitored the center of campus for anyone trying to break curfew or raid the snack shack after hours. All was quiet that dark night when suddenly a loud crash broke the silence across the quad. It sounded like a metal trash can being toppled over in the distance. What was that, I asked. Being the knowledgeable Coloradoan he was, the camp director assured me it was just kids sneaking around. When the second commotion occurred on the other side of the snack shack opposite from where we were sitting, we both knew he was wrong. We jumped up and walked slowly around the small building to investigate the noise. There, sitting in the glow of a yellow floodlight, was the silhouette of the biggest creature I'd ever encountered in the wild. A 400-pound cinnamon black bear rummaging through the trash. I looked at the director, then he looked at the bear. Then looked back at the director. He looked at me. I asked, What do we do? Should we run? He assured me that there was no use running, as we couldn't outrun the bear. The punchline of the old joke crossed my mind, and I couldn't resist an opportunity to repeat it. I whispered, "Uh, I don't have to outrun the bear i just have to outrun you. Running wouldn't be necessary that night as the bear quickly ran away after we startled him. I stood in awe as he strode into the darkness, into the wild. That was the first of four bears I witnessed that night. The other three black bears, a mother and two cubs, appeared after I'd reached my cabin, again searching for food in the surrounding trash cans. Needless to say, I didn't get much sleep that night. In Glacier, the bears would be much more ominous and not limited to curious black bears digging through discarded Little Debbie wrappers. This was grizzly country, and we had to be alert. As we hiked along the narrow paths, we stayed alert, but stopped frequently to soak in the indescribable landscape. Stopped to surrender to the moment and permit ourselves to feel. They say you don't become a man until your father dies. But at that moment, standing there, gazing at the overwhelming view before me, I wished I was still a child. As I stood on the rocky bank of St. Mary Lake, the lyric of It Is Well With My Soul came to mind. Emotions washed over me, and I was sad. I realized that it's okay for a man to admit when he's sad. It's healthy to identify our emotions. That way we can learn from them and adapt. And at that moment I was sad. And I was okay. Although it had not been well with my soul, I was beginning to heal. Beginning to feel. I closed my eyes and breathed deeply. Then I exhaled and knew that Inevitably, I was a different man than I had been one month earlier. Stronger? Not yet. Better? One can only hope. But looking up at the imposing mountains, it occurred to me I was, in fact, a different man. But I was not alone. I had friends like Andy to help me along the way. After a short break, we resumed hiking. I'm convinced it's impossible to hike without contemplating life, this world, God, and our place therein, and the possibility of encountering bears, of course. But with every turn, I noticed the mountains took on a fresh appearance. Obviously, it wasn't the mountains that were changing, but my ever-shifting perspective. My ever-shifting perspective that made the mountains look fresh from every new angle. I'm sure there's a metaphor for God and life and growing older somewhere in that observation, but it's one I haven't fully unpacked yet. We did see a bear that day, two of them actually, two black bears crossed in front of our Mustang as we were leaving the park. Part of me was disappointed we didn't see a grizzly, but the better part, the more sensible part, was glad we didn't. The next morning, we woke up early and met the fishing guide from Big Fork Anglers for a full day float trip on the Flathead River. As the sun kissed the peaks above us, the wind howled down the mountain and into the river valley with gale force strength. The guide said that's how it is in the mornings on the Flathead, but that it settled down once the sun rose further into the sky. The wind was a momentary inconvenience and eventually settled down, just as he said, and it wasn't long before we were catching trout. Now, Andy was not very experienced at fly fishing, but caught on pretty quickly. The guide tied on a double dry fly rig using two black and white CDCs. I had to swallow my pride and ask what CDC meant. He said it was short for Cool de Canard. That's French for duck bottom. It's an extremely buoyant duck feather used to create the fly. Although I asked about adding a dropper nymph, he scoffed at the idea. Not because that was an unacceptable rig, but because this was Montana. And he was a dry fly purist, and I'm glad he was. At first, we missed more strikes than fish we landed. Snatching the fly away from a trout as you watch it rise on your bait through the crystal water took much patience and practice. I was envious of the eagles soaring overhead who caught trout with ease. The way they dove effortlessly and swiped gracefully with their razor-sharp talons was poetry in motion, a scene that was much easier to experience than to describe with my limited vocabulary. A scene that made me realize this was their river and i was merely a visitor now once we mastered the timing of setting the hook on a rising trout the catching was plentiful while i don't have the luxury of being a dry fly purist it didn't take long to realize that dry flying was my new favorite method of fishing looking back now just the thought of watching a trout rise to engulf a floating bug makes my heart pound on our last run of the day we were floating by a rocky sandbar with a deep hole in the eastern side i was watching my flies drift nicely past the downward slope of the rock bed when a trout with a head the size of my fist rose slowly and devoured my fly my heart leapt and i set the hook it was the first large trout I'd ever hooked and didn't know how to fight him. I locked into the pool without letting him run. I horsed him too hard trying to land him the way I would a largemouth bass and he broke off after only fighting for five or ten seconds. He would have been well over twenty inches, but alas, he got away. Seeing him rise on that dry fly is an image etched into my mind forever so much so that once I returned home I wanted to commemorate that memory. I found a painting by A.D. Maddox entitled Snack, that is precisely the image in my mind. I bought a postcard print of that painting and displayed it on my fly tying desk as a reminder of that wonderful experience. It was an incredible day on the water and losing that monster trout was no low point but the exclamation point to the end of that trip. All in all, I caught three different species of trout, rainbow, cutthroat, and a hybrid species called a cutbow, the result of natural crossbreeding between cutthroat and rainbow trout. The biggest catch of the day, and my personal best at the time, was an 18-inch rainbow. I caught a pretty nice cutthroat too at 15 inches, but altogether, Andy and I landed about 30 trout in the boat. A perfect day on the water and a perfect tribute to my father. Being in Montana for that long weekend allowed me to escape the realities that awaited me back home. An uncharted territory that I was unsure how to navigate without my dad. My rock, my guide, my best friend. Was I going into a brave new world of my own? A new world indeed. I was not certain I was so brave. I told Andy that I'd never be able to repay him in a thousand years for what he had done for me and his friendship and his generosity. In true Andy fashion, he said, that's not what this is all about. It's not about you repaying me. Just pay it forward for someone else one day. That's a story that Ambrose tells in Undaunted Courage when Lewis and Clark were returning home and their trail was covered by ten feet of snow. Trekking this undaunted territory was impossible as the winter had been relentless. Here is winter with all its rigors, Lewis wrote, as I imagined him looking across the white void of what was supposed to be their path home. It wasn't until Lewis, for the price of two rifles, procured three guides young Native American boys who knew the land well and were able to navigate the terrain blindly the young boys had traveled these lands many times before and knew the path well it was the help of those guides and the grace of God that Lewis and Clark achieved the impossible less than a year later I had the chance to be that guide for Brad my dear friend and co-host of the storied outdoors when he lost his father to cancer Having navigated these currents on which Brad was about to embark, I knew how God could use water to heal the soul. In the same way Andy facilitated an opportunity for healing through fly fishing for me, it was my turn to pay it forward to Brad. Knowing that Brad's father didn't have long, we scheduled a float trip in the middle of June on the Elk River in Tennessee with my friend Ben. However, when Brad's dad went to be with Jesus on June 7th, I wasn't sure he'd be up for the trip the following weekend. Father's Day, nonetheless. Brad insisted we stay the course, and I was thankful he did. Not to avoid the disappointment of a canceled trip, but because I knew the healing that could take place for him on the water. There's something about a constantly flowing river that washes our spirit. And we emerge refreshed after having experienced it. And that's just what happened. Brad had a fantastic day catching several nice rainbows and a beautiful 10-inch brook trout, all on an olive woolly booger. And although I only caught one fish, I achieved my goal for the day as well. To catch a trout on a fly, I tied myself. It was a purple and black woolly booger that a small rainbow devoured in an unassuming run about halfway into our trip. We would have had a mess of fish if Brad would have had some help. Perhaps I should have tied on an olive woolly booger instead. As Lewis and Clark parted ways in their infamous separate journeys back home and with a thousand miles between them and their rendezvous point, they were unsure if they'd ever see each other again. Ambrose notes about the transition Lewis and Clark had undertaken and the confident travelers they had become, so much so that upon their departure they didn't say a fearful goodbye, but instead see you at the junction in five or six weeks. A hopeful farewell surrounded by confidence in the face of an unknown world. As we trek uncharted territories... Territories where fearful unknowns are around each corner. Territories requiring a guide, a friend to help us navigate paths they've walked before. We become better travelers, better men. And we have the opportunity and the responsibility to help others along the way. Men are not meant to travel this world alone. We need friends. Friends that stick closer than a brother. Friends like Andy to help us along the way. So, with the help of good friends and the grace of God, we do not say a fearful goodbye as we enter uncharted territories. While there may be dangers until we meet again, we can confidently say, See you at the junction in five or six weeks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take some time to leave us a review. Or better yet, share it with a friend. If you'd like more information, more content, check out thestoriedoutdoors.com. As always, we hope these stories encourage you. Encourage you to write your own stories and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors.